Now smoked in THC sound. You've been listening to Adam Air MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. What's up, guys? Welcome to a uh, special ass episode. I just reconnected with my old drummer from the Doom Band, Black and Goat Tone. Denver, circa 2000. Wow, that's us in the background. That's off a demo recorded by Hard Dildo, I mean Geraldo, from uh, the band Catheter. Took 13 hours. Oh yeah, and, uh, the guy you're gonna, we're gonna talk to today, John Deere. That's him playing the drums. Not bad, Johnny boy, not bad. He's a good fucking dude, you know. This uh, episode deals with stonerrock.com and the start of it. You'll get a little origin story off that. Some other bands. You know, we're going to be talking about some shit. Cool, man. I'm smoking it the fuck up. I don't know what you're doing. John's like, I want to be on every episode. I was like, well, that's cool. I think he'd be like two episodes in and be like, oh, fuck, I'm out of here. You're going to hear the story about how we almost made this. And the sound was awesome. But we almost made this fucking Man's Ruin album. But people's selfish interests got in the way, like a lot of rock and roll scenarios. You're not fucking alone. If it's happened to you, don't worry about it, you know? (laughs) You already know. You play guitar, you fucking rock and roll. This is doom metal, man. John was able to utilize come in when I needed it the most and I knew that the sound was there and tell all the musicians out there who have that ear man and I think the main thing was me and John connected in that Melvin's arena Dale Crover he's gonna come up <laughs> It was a magical time. It was a magical time. I was pretty stoked about it. (laughs) Well, you know, how do you like... If you want something so bad... That's that's what magic really is, man. Getting fucking results off the manifestation. heard that recently. Happen to believe it. This is a uh, more upbeat episode. Although, you know, the dregs of real life do come in. 
As you can hear, this shit fucking rocks. So, you know, nothing good comes easy. You gotta work for that shit, right? I don't talk to the other people in the band. But uh, this isn't about them. It's about me and uh, John Deere reconnecting after five years. By the time I had left fucking Denver, I wasn't doing that great. Actually, I don't remember a time where I have been. (laughs) But actually, it's when we're playing the music, man, that uh, if you're able to hit it, and you can connect. That's the most beautiful fucking thing in the world, right? Well, that's what this episode's tonight. It's about that kind of connection. It's about sound. It's about friendship and things that we need to hear about right now, man. And I hope you want to fucking hear about it, so fucking stick around. Damn, that was hard to talk for that five-minute fucking shit, motherfucker. God damn. Hope you like that grand goat. <laughs> We're right back. We'll be right back. country village till one is dealt a crushing blow now her only chance of a cure lies in the mysterious powers of this unknown visitor i'll never be better that's because you don't believe as long as she's willing to pay the price to this demon of the darkness become an eager accomplice to the devil's dirty deeds. We found a new disciple. Those not yet under her sinister power must fight for their lives. She's evil. As her satanic spell spreads like a malignant mass that no one can Malignant mass. Andrea Markovici, Michael Culver, and Diana Dore star in the terrifying tale of the devil's web. Now return. All right.
right, man. Welcome to the show, Grand Goat. Um, you're part of this collection of shows that I'm putting together that I'm not going to release for like a while. Are you cool with that? <laughs> yeah, I'm totally fine with it. I mean, you know, I just like the conversation. I, you know, that's that's what it's really about for me too, man. Well, I'm glad to have uh, reestablished connection with you. I guess it is kind of on me for having dropped out um, and going like in ways uh, my life that just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's been dark, dude. <laughs> you know? I understand that. This thing's happened, you know, my friend is like, you know, I, I didn't think I'd ever talk to you again for a while, dude. Well, I had some things, I kept trying to build these helpful platforms or something entertaining in Facebook. And I just got sick of Facebook after a while, and after that Mark Zuckerberg shit. I mean, the motherfucker just, there's something wrong with him, right? <laughs> huh? I said, oh, I know, I know what you mean. Oh, yeah. No, that trial and all that stuff, and the, and the way the platform is. I just, I'm sick of social media, Joan. You're not playing. What's that? That's easy to have happen, you know. Oh yeah. Well, I don't. I don't like it for a lot of reasons. I don't like the algorithm. You know, I I don't like how it turned most people that I knew into fucking people I wish I didn't know. Okay. Uh. You know, it just affected me in ways that, you know, I'm a deep cat, dude. I know. You always have been. I wrote all the music for our band. Remember that? Yeah. That's all, correct. Alvin wrote one song. Only one? Yeah, he wrote I These Woods. No, I remember that title. Uh, and it was that one where you come in like you're like clompity, clompity, clomp. Here, I'll go ahead and play that song right now. <laughs> we did do, uh, we did tour Santa Fe. I remember that we played it at the college down there. We sold all of our merchandise inside of, we had a shitload of shit too. Sold everything. Yeah, except for what whatever we kept. And I didn't. I, didn't, I don't remember that from happening. But okay. No, we so I remember us selling like every. Well, we split the money up. I don't think we actually got paid for playing the show, but we got the any money we made was off of the merchandise. I thought. Okay. The kids were eating that shit up. Regardless, I remember that. It was like either. We played, we did it, or it was damn near. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you had a good time, right? I, yeah, I did, actually. I remember, like, just like, wow, we're playing in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and this is like, wow, this is so surreal for me. Hamas Springs. We went to Hamas Springs. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I vaguely. And we went to the hot springs. Everybody was naked. <laughs> oh yeah. Whew. I think I was like on, you know, 
some psychedelics. They they called us the Fleetwood Mac of sludge. What's that? They called us the Fleetwood Mac of sludge. Who did? Everybody. Yeah, you don't remember that because there was two couples in the band, and then you were like the Mick Fleetwood drummer. Okay, yeah, sure, that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Our rhythm guitarist and bassist were a couple. I was dating the singer, sure. and you came in like Mick Fleetwood, like, "Hey, I got, I'm going to smoke a joint with you guys." <laughs> it was pretty accurate. The Fleetwood Mac of sludge. I wear that that. Do you remember the gig we did with Witch Mountain? Vaguely. Where was that? 15th Street? That was 15th Street. And then we went up to the uh, that house that I used to live in that was like the old abandoned uh, piano factory or whatever. The house on the hill. Where was that? It was like Federal and 26th. Oh, yeah. And we went up there and, and Safeways was across the street. and. And we went up there with Witch Mountain, and that night, it was us, Witch Mountain, and Vile Rune, which later on became, you know, well, Jake from Vile Rune and, and Collie and Olvin from Black and Goat Tongue formed Turnbar. Right. I never got into the Middle Earth shit. I didn't give a fuck. I thought it was boring, man. Middle Earth is that fucking Elven fucking, like, you know, kind of like it was Lord of the Rings bullshit, dude. Like Peter Jackson jack off shit. But it was like they were trying to go darker. Like, I got it, but dude, it doesn't, it's just dark Lord of the Rings dark. That's all that it is. You know what I mean? It's like, eh. Ah, I didn't give a fuck about Dungeons and Dragons ever. I never did either. I never cared about the whole, you know, uh, I'm a fucking wood, woodsman bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that part of Doom sucked. I didn't give a fuck. That's what these guys wanted, though, man. It kind of got a little boring at that point. That's not what we were doing. We were we were talking about, like, you know, weird spirits and things that didn't necessarily even have, like, a a body to it. It was just... Singing about the eeriness of situations, or I don't remember it ever being like about any entities, you know. Right. And it was just about this dark side of nature. Yeah. Kelly was into goth, and uh, there are, you know, I go back with a little bit of. I mean, it's part of my. It's in the punk rock shit. You're not going to escape it. You got like fucking what I thought was like Nick Cave and uh, that kind of vein um, or uh, the, there was even some cure in there, <laughs> you know, and just, I'll, yeah, I know. I hate it, but <laughs> show, show me how you do that trick, you know, but Kelly loved that shit. And she brought that kind of forward with her voice in it. And I thought that it worked. It worked. It, it was the. Uh, it's honest, you know. And she had a fucking great voice. 
And, uh, you know, I don't, <laughs> but I do, I appreciate, I'll just put it, I appreciate that, no, I don't miss her, dude. No. But I, I, well, she cheated on me. And that's what, you know, she's, she marries the guy who fucking, she cheated on me with. I mean, here's the black and goat tongue. Extra, extra. <laughs> it's all fucking like, uh, you know. <laughs> Total fucking um, paparazzi shit here. here. <laughs> well, nope, you weren't John Deere yet, and it really was Carrie and Ryan transforming into Collie and Olden that fucked up everything. I thought because I thought you know, hey, they say they want to leave right now, and I okay, that's fine, but after putting. All the honesty and all the work, it really did shock me in the end to hear him say they wanted to go. And I remember this one time, it was April Fool's Day, right before that. Okay. And I called you, dude. And I played this fucking April Fool's prank on your ass. And it was, uh... I probably did. Oh, yeah, well, it sounded real. And I was, <laughs> I was like, dude... We got fucking signed on to Man's Ruin. <laughs> and you were like... What? And you gotta be fair, we had already played with Sour Vein, and Liz from Electric Wizard was still in Sour Vein, y'all. That's great. And fucking, uh... And, and we, and Liz and Troy, we all got along swimmingly, man. Uh, Croatin showed up. Those guys were fucking sick. They were on Man's Ruin. I remember that uh, chick eating a sheet of acid. And, and she just ate it right on the stage at the 15th Street Tavern. I was like, holy shit, dude. She just ate blotter, bro. Oh, my gosh. And they were fucking great. They were great. This is at 15th Street? Yeah, man. That was a show we did. I can't remember who it was with. It was like Croatin. And then we did a... But we did High on Fire's first tour. You're the one that scored that. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to tell you about that April Fool's fucking prank. I want to finish that thing. Because the April Fool's prank's important. Because I pulled the prank on you. And you fell for it and thought that we were going to fucking get signed. And that was all April Fool's. And then word came around. Oh, yeah, fucking uh, Kozik wanted to talk to us or we were about to talk to someone. It was right at the fucking end. And there was one show that there was a couple shows Kali didn't want to do that were important. And I thought, why was that? I couldn't remember why. But you know, they really just were kind of just fucked up before I fucking like was all. Because the whole thing really started when I knew these guys. I fucking thought they were great. And I met them through the whole Lion Bitch and the Restraining Orders crowd or the PBR Street Gang crowd. Okay. And I thought uh, Olvin was Ryan. He had a band called. Fuck that birth. 
and uh, you know they were like whatever. Uh, he already had some music on under him, you know. When I met him, he had already played out and shit. Uh, you know, Carrie, she didn't know how to do anything, and Kelly didn't know how to do shit. So I had to sit there and train Ryan how to do like these actual power chords that were made for Doom and show him how to play that basic Doom shit. You know, like, okay, you just go and let it ring, let it ring, yeah. let it ring, you know, five minutes, let it ring. <laughs> yeah. and, and then finally John comes in and he goes, it pulls that Dale Crover signature doom. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, hey, man. I got lucky, but I always said I got lucky in both bands in Colostomizer, even though my drummer now is a putz and whatever. He's at my, well, I don't know. Who cares? But, uh, you know, his, he, he was one of the best drummers I ever heard. I'll be honest, man. And uh, he was 16. Sixteen in Colostomizer when we started that nineteen. It was right at the end of ninety two. Oh wow! Me and Jeremy only had a drum machine, and he was six. The kid was sixteen, working at uh, Time Warp. Remember Time Warp Comics in Boulder? I think so. Uh, it's still there, just in a different locale. But um, oh, okay. uh, he was working there at that time, and Lampo was my partner in Colostomizer. And he was working there as a manager. And he knew the kid. He knew, you know, and the dad would come in. And the dad started talking to uh, Lampo. Turns out the guy, his dad was this photographer for Judas Priest and Black Sabbath. And then, like, Rob Halford uh, actually singing for Black Sabbath in, like, Rio. And incredible pictures like that, dude, that were in videos. Tons of shit we got to watch in this nice ass fucking mountain house that he bought off the money he got from taking those pictures. Right. And fucking his his son was just the pow most powerhouse fucking drummer I've ever had. Like you know, I just I've been lucky on all the all the drummers. My very first drummer going back to Carolina Beach, North Carolina. He was only twelve. No kidding. And we played at Redneck well, Bars. Yeah, that was like the mid eighties. Wow. And uh and that's when I really started. I was fifteen, sixteen, playing around rednecks that hated that shit in North Carolina. <laughs> we'll be right fucking back. Now the return to Meadowlands Arena, Friday, August twenty ninth, the six Holy Girl Concert Series, Judas Priest. Take your vitamins today, because if you did, you're kind of stupid. We spend $15 billion a year on multivitamins and supplements, despite almost no evidence they make us healthier. And that's not all. Every year, supplements cause 23,000 visits to the ER, 
Mostly freakouts from people who took too many energy pills, kids who chugged a whole bottle of gummies, or old folks choking. So if you want to put something in your mouth to feel better, take my advice. Try a penis or a vagina. Statistically, it's much more likely to work. Until colostomizer, and that changed my life. What was that time span? Uh, I thought it was like fucking uh, about no, uh, between well, in '93, I would have been 21. I hadn't played since I was like 16, so what's that, five years? You know, there was a five year span, uh, but as soon as I fell back into it. You know, and Lampo knew rock and roll. And I was just like, he knew the formula and had Melvin's down as a design pattern. And you're a, and you're a Melvin's fucking fan till the end. I know that about you, right? Okay. You're a Melvin's fan till the end? Where are you going? Are you in the bathroom? In the kitchen. <laughs> Have a seat, dude. I can't. <laughs> You better get what you need <laughs> and speak up. <laughs> All right, come on. Let me know when you're ready. Let me know when you're sitting down. Ah, um, when you uh, when you you study Melvin's style, you know Dale Crover's the best of the elite. I tried to imitate that as much as I could. You I did. Impressed so with that style of playing. Ah, oh, man. It, it's just the hook for the best for, And that's what Brennan could do. And he was doing it in Colostomizer. So when we played at places like 15th Street Tavern or the Lion's Lair, we played at the Ozit Lawn with fucking Brutal Truth. <laughs> uh, we did that Clutch and... We did Clutch and Tad. With uh, at the that was at the Fox Theater in Boulder. How was that that game? Did you did you see that show? Yes, I didn't play it, but it was like was the only time I ever saw Tad play. Did you were you there for the whole show? Yep, because I wanted to see Tad. Do you remember me playing? No. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I love it. Well, that was amazing because in the middle of that show, that was our fourth show, man. And our, I don't know if you remember Soda Ben, but Soda Ben, yeah, Soda Ben was working at the fucking. He was working at the Fox Theater in Boulder at that time. It was like ninety. I thought it was like, 
Jesus, I thought I was like 95 or fucking something like that. Okay. 94, 95 when Clutch came out. Um, and that album, I thought it was somewhere around there. That was crazy, but uh, we that was our fourth show, and some somebody was booing us. Somebody was booing us, and and they were like, "Get off the stage!" You suck. And uh, and I and I I was like, I snapped my fingers, and I was like, "Hey." We're just doing our fucking job, buddy. And and Lampos just picked it up right there. He goes, "Yeah, we don't go knocking sailor dicks out of your fucking mouth." And and right when he said that, everybody like had the shock looked on his on their faces, and then fucking they just fell in, and then they, they loved us. And we covered it. We played Night Goat. We did a Night Goat cover, and I guess the guy from Tad fucking filmed the whole thing, dude. And uh, and he said I showed it to the Melvins, and then what happened? Uh, Stag came out right after that, and the song Buck Owens was on there, and I was like, oh, because he filmed it. We did Night Goat, and at the end of Night Goat, we put the Hee Haw song on there. Where, well, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and thought I found true love. You made another and pfft, you were gone. And fucking, we did that. And everybody kind of had this look on their face. And they were like, yeah. you know. <laughs> and we were kind of just blowing the doors off. Because we were getting uh, really, really fucking into um, uh, Melvin's and all the boner uh albums before that like still pull bathtub and ed hall oh, yeah. and i always thought biogeyser was more like a melvin z style hardcore almost yeah, say it again I love oh i know you fucking do uh, steel Pulp, ed hall, and oh i oh, dude i hey speak a little louder okay if you don't mind can you hear me? Yeah, just do that. Speak that level. Come, come closer, because when I when it comes out, bro, it will be like all. Oh, I won't be. No one will hear you, man, and it will suck because it's a good interview, and I don't want to lose you. Yeah, I hope I don't ruin this. Nope, just come closer and speak louder. Speak louder already. All right. Uh, but uh, okay. So I was in Colostomizer. We played with you guys. And then uh, I didn't see you for a long-ass time. So Geraldo had played. I had already trained Kelly. I trained uh, Carrie and Ryan. And, and I had to learn how to play left-handed, upside-down bass to show uh, Carrie how to play because she was left-handed. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had to teach her like that. And then uh, I had to uh, put those guys together. We wrote five songs. Howard Stern had covered uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King from fucking, what are they called? <laughs> What's the name of the band? Oh, God. With the face on it, man. King Crimson. Uh, King Howard Stern. Howard Stern and Robin, yeah, don't worry about it, whatever. 
<laughs> Howard Stern and Robin Givens fucking, you know, they they had covered King Crimson's in the Hall of the Mountain King at that time. And it was so fucking heavy. And I was like, no fucking way Howard Stern and Robin Givens uh, are covering this so heavy. Uh, and it just sounded so good, man. I, I, who, whoever heard it at that time, you know? But it just struck me as being this really heavy thing. And I was like, hmm. So I taught Kelly and Carrie and Ryan how to play the same cover that Howard Stern was doing technically. <laughs> I remember um, it was right before that. Um, I was worried about Carrie and Ryan because they were shooting up and they were really oh, bad. Really? Well, you, they were clean by the time you got around. Because they got in, they got into a car accident on Alameda and Broadway, really, and they flew through the fucking front of the windshield. What? And me and Kelly thought we were going to lose them, you know. I never knew this. I know. That's why I'm telling you on the show so I could get the shock value. <laughs> um, I know. And check the shit out uh, when we when because we love them, dude. You know and. And so they had been in the hospital. Carrie never came back around. You know what happened? There was like some brain thing. Because <laughs> I remember she wasn't that kind of like off like that. Uh, but after that, that's when things like, you know, later on, she was like a little bit more nervous. And, it, and when we had developed after you had joined... And we had the demo already. Even there were yeah, some shows. Be, there were some shows. Yeah, there were shows she fucking turned down, dude. Kelly, not Kelly. Carrie. Kelly was always into it. Kelly, she never. And Alvin, you know Ryan, he just wanted to fucking play too. And it was just Carrie. And at the end, it was Carrie that. Was like, okay, it's been a year, let's go. And we actually had heard the talk about uh, Frank Kozik wanting to talk to us a week before Carrie just was like, nope, we're leaving, we're going to India. And they did, they left for a fucking year. I was really bummed out. I'll be honest, I, they knew it, you know? They didn't give a fuck, but I was like, ugh. We sound so. I know, and I, I had to tell you that because that's what they wanted. But it, I was hoping that after you joined personally, uh -huh. after you joined, and they heard where the advancements they had with sound and how you would be able to carry them, which you did. Uh you know, I I felt like they would stick around on a professional level. And I just thought they would be like, well, India can wait. You know, let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and do the right thing, take the fucking Man's Ruin deal. You know, later on, Turnbar, they fucking cut an album, but it didn't go anywhere because they were drunk, cocaine dicks. Know. You know? That's what they all ended up becoming. And it was just more shitty decision making on all of them. You know? It was selfish. Turambar was a selfish move. I think they knew they were going to do Turambar and they broke up 
went to India and then came back and, and went through with it. And, you know, that's not right, man. I, me and you got back shafted on that end, I thought. And I, and I, I just, we were, well, sitting at the Mercury Cafe, that's when, that was the last goodbye. And we had some fucking, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, whatever. And then Kelly ended up fucking losing interest really fast and just, you know, that's when she met someone else, you know. And I could see it, and I just felt like, you know, it, it really was Carrie, <laughs> if I was going to blame anybody. <laughs> I Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, man. You know, and it was just like, I saw them at a party after the fucking accident. And uh, I was kind of just dating Kelly for a little bit. I was living in a different place across the street at the same area at 26th and Federal, but I had a buffet apartment across the street on the other side of that school. And uh, I had met Carrie and Ryan right before I met Kelly. Right, okay. And I went to this party and I saw this movie called Devil's Web. And it was this British BBC movie. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it was like the, the witch cult, you know. Uh, coming around the, the bonfire at night, and they're, they're chanting this thing right here. Black of night and moon return. Spirits enter, fire burn. Break the bone and crush the will. Through the wind the ashes spill. In the womb a gift received. We believe, we believe, we believe. And I was just like, it just kind of hit me, you know. I was like, that's fucking kind of cool for a, a witchcraft kind of chanty thing, you know. And I told them about it. And we had a barbecue the next week. Ryan burnt the burgers. I said, hey, those are fucking black and goat burgers. He goes, they look like tongues. And I was like, they're black and goat tongue burgers. <laughs> and that's where it came from, and and they were like black and goat tongue, ha 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 ha, and that was it. That was it. That's where the name came from. Alrighty. So you know, we had Grant from Mean Face. You remember those motherfuckers? Yes. You played with them, right? What was that? Did they destroy you guys or what? Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so. They, they, they took a liking to us, if I remember correctly. Uh, this is circa 1993-ish. Hey, speak up a little. Sorry. Say it again. Oh, Say it all again. They took a liking to us because I can remember that uh, our bass player and vocalist, Damon, was wearing a football helmet on stage. Oh, yeah. Just, and just losing his freaking mind. And uh, Mean Face came, the guys in Mean Face came up to us and like, we love you, you're a favorite band, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, um, okay, thank you. Like I said, this is like 1994. Yeah. What the hell do we know? <laughs> True. And, 
it was just, just the Denver underground music scene at the time. It was just like, thank you. You know, all kinds of bands were springing up. And I had just moved here a year prior. Um, you know, it's like, wow. I guess I jumped in at the right time. We'll be right back. A public service message from Rob Halford of Judas Priest. Step on the red, cross on the green, never take a ride in a stranger's machine, and always make sure you're burning on turbo power. Judas Priest, turbo, fuel for life. Come next week. play with us for like two shows or two practices that's what it was uh and you know grant was not a small dude no i remember he was very a big very big man he came in at like a right at 500 pounds like motherfucker that's bigger than andre the fucking giant homie no kidding yeah he was a bounty hunter too man did you know that the secret life of the pulverizer. Oh, yeah. Rock legends. On the next VH1, what the fuck you didn't know about Denver rock stars? You know. And that's really, you know, but that, no, Grant was crazy. But he played, a, and you know, uh, he did, he was come, he was kind of playing it, and he wasn't feeling it, too. 
And he was like, no, that's not what I really want to do. And so uh, we had heard what about you. Huh? What was he into? What was he up to? No, what was he into musically as far as like, playing drums? And- oh, he was in Mean Face. No, I know that, but... <laughs> Was he not into the band itself, or was he just kind of trying to wing it and like, okay? No, I no, I I think it, at that time he was going through personal uh, family shit. His family like lived right up the street from the Larimer Lounge on Larimer and like Twenty First or something. Yeah. And at that time, I don't know. Maybe it was around that time, but uh, his brother fucking was riding his bike on Cherry Creek Path. And fucking busted his head open, man. And me and Kelly had to... We're in the hospital with these guys. You know, again, just like Carrie and Ryan. But it was just totally different shit. <laughs> and uh, and then me and Kelly got in an accident right at the same time, too. So, you know, it was, it was kind of the seasonal weird accident time right at the beginning of the millennium, I, I noticed. You know, and that's when everything weird happened. Ninety nine, two thousand. Yep. Um, and there was this whole thing where fucking uh, oh, this show's produced by Bloody the Pitbull, by the way. Bloody's looking out the window. He's like squirrels. Just keep doing your show. I'm looking at squirrels. Um, but uh, you know, I I remember just like a lot a lot of that shit, but you know. <laughs> I I do love that as soon as Grant left and to to tend to Jim and, and neurological problems and all this other shit, you know, um, that we were we heard about you and I can't remember. That's what I can't remember was who schooled us on you, dude. Do you remember what? who told Good us question. about you? Good question. Because. That is a good question, because I, honestly, I remember, obviously I remember a lot of shit, but I don't remember who told me, oh yeah, dude, you should talk to Stefanowicz. <laughs> that sounds like Wenzel. Yeah, it's totally Wenzel. I thought, dude, I think we just found who it was. <laughs> Dude, go talk to Stefana Hannah Banana Flanowich. <laughs> Those were the good days, right? <laughs> when things were good. <laughs> Come close to the phone again. You're leaving. You got to sit down. Motherfucker. <laughs> ah, right in the middle of a show. Come on. Come on, old man. Damn. Get your depends. Get your geritals. Hi, I'm back. Oh, the old man can talk. Oh, <laughs> put some fucking throat in that motherfucker. Well, just grab the bottle, because you got another fucking 25 minutes to go. You better fucking just know that I right can, now. I can hang in there. You gotta know this. So. <laughs> okay, but my favorite, my favorite show 
my favorite show was High on Fire. Okay, man. Even though I had a falling out with Matt Pike way later on, at that time, I thought Matt Pike was still fucking great. And that's what I remember. And uh, and I remember how cool it was. <laughs> and I remember Geraldo, man, was in... the. There was four Doom bands. There was Us. There was Iron... Or no, Iron Lung. That was Geraldo's. Okay. There was fuck in uh, with Conan singing for Iron Lung. Okay. You remember that? Before John Deere. Yeah. yeah. Uh and that, and then you had uh, Vile Rune, Iron Lung, Black Lamb, just fucking busted out. Just busted out. It was right then. It was right when fucking High on Fire fucking played. And you had like... Geraldo wanted that fucking High on Fire show, man. And, uh... But you you knew Peter. Yeah. That's how he scored it. And, well, that's not how he scored it. There's an un, there is an unsung hero in this motherfucker, and I got to give credit where credit is due. It's my buddy from Boulder, and he was a stoner guy named uh, Ross. And you met him. He was a skinny, wiry guy, kind of, but he loved us, and he came to like pretty much all of our shows, you know. And uh, he loved us, man. And he he's the one that was sitting at his job at IBM in Longmont, surfing on his computer on stonerrock.com. And how did stonerrock.com get started? It goes back to the story I didn't finish earlier, when me and you and Witch Mountain and Vile Rune went to the house on the hill. Those guys said that that night. We're going to start stonerrock.com and technically in that old ass archive right then in that first two months we get brought up like stonerrock.com acknowledges the very first and they call us by name black and goat tongue it's in an original article that i bet you never knew about i never knew this yep and which which those those guys from Witch Mountain started and helped found that stonerrock.com. So here it is all this time later since the Witch Mountain show. You're talking about like five, six months later. And it's like, you know, High on Fire is fucking coming out. And it was because of your connection. That was one half of it. But Ross working, getting stoned at IBM... <laughs> God bless America. And uh, <laughs> him getting stoned at his job <laughs> and surfing stonerrock.com. And he goes, hey, did you know High on Fire's playing at the Lion's Lair and there's no one opening for it? And I was like, I'll call you back. And I fucking called your ass like a motherfucker. And, and I think I was literally racing seconds with Geraldo. Because according to Geraldo, he was calling right then. And he couldn't get through because you were fucking setting up that show, motherfucker. Yeah. 
So all hail the grand goat. Because if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have had that fucking show. I got in touch with Peter Orr, and he's just like, yeah, you guys are on it. Just promote the shit out of it. That's what we did. Yeah. We had, uh, excuse me, we had just like printed flyers, like, you know, we were just plastering the town. Yep. And uh, I think it brought a lot of people in. It did, man. Oh, man, it was amazing. That was the only uh, sold-out show I ever played. And I fucking wore a dress shirt on stage that night. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) And everybody was like, ha, ha, ha. I was like, fuck that. I'm dressing nice, man. And I did. I, I I wore like some fucking nice ass fucking. I don't know how we beat out so many other bands that probably had, uh, you know, been around longer than we had been around at that point. But how we beat them out to get to get on that bill to open for the uh, HOF? It's like it was like I said. If it weren't for Ross, I, was, I wouldn't have been able to call you, dude. You know what I mean? I remember that phone call. And that's when I got, got on the horn to Peter Orr. It's like, dude, it's like, yeah, promote the shit out of it. Uh, Kelly made the flyer. And it was right at it was right after the Blair Witch thing. And it just had that yeah. Blair Witch ass feel on that fucking flyer. Yeah, and I still don't, I don't have that flyer anymore, unfortunately. I wish I did. I got a copy of it. I got a copy of all our flyers. And every newspaper westward little uh, fucking thing. Everything. Yeah, I just, you know, man, I'm the collector, dude. I know. And uh, (laughs) I just felt like, you know, this time will never come again. Uh, It didn't. Nope. Nope, it didn't. But we had it for a moment. It was the, it was a great chemistry and a, a great combination, man. And, uh, really was. I thought the way that we were hitting it, you know. Um, but I knew, as soon as I saw you, I was like, that's our drummer. And I hadn't even put it together, you were in Guys or anything. I just knew. I'm pretty sure Wenzel was the guy that uh, verified it. He was like, oh yeah, he's badass. And, uh, and you were. Uh, and I fucking felt it, and inside of, like, you know, because of you, dude, we were able to fasten everything inside of, like, by the first month, we had half, we had six songs down in a yeah, month. Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. And then, by the time uh, the next month rolled around, we were working on a second album, and I remember we had all these songs, and... By the time we got to Santa Fe, we just everybody loved it, and we were just hitting the nerve that no one, none of the other bands had. Geraldo had Iron Lung, and and I love Conan, and I I love that he's got that whole pentagramish thing going. Yes. You know what I mean? And I love that style of doom. Uh, I just thought we had the one thing none of these other bands had. And, you know, Black Lamb kind of came close, but they were more of a, 
a Sabbath, almost bar bar room rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, and and then you had Vile Rune, which was already just kind of this Black Wizard gambit. And we were playing like with the witchcraft end and the whole, you know, uh, darker just energy kind of end with no stigma. It was just about the sound, though. I thought, I thought in the end. That's all it was really about was the way we were just rocking these songs out. Yeah, for me it was just like an introduction to about a whole genre, and and you know being a huge story, a huge fan of the Melvins, it's like that's what I was into was just loud, slow, heavy, and, and that's I, that's what I was all about, you know. You were, and that's why it worked out so well with uh, Black and Gold. It did. And, and it was just amazing. It was. It was nothing short of uh, breathtaking at moments. And just the kind of uh, way that we were able to embrace each other uh, as friends in that yeah. moment. And then we went to Santa Fe. That was pretty much near. That was right at the end, man. It was yeah, just, it went so fast, you know. Played the gymnasium in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Sold everything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right fucking back. Show. There you'll be the toast of the evening as your very own flesh and blood is honored on stage. 
we're going to throw in three commemorative t-shirts her family will cherish for years. So send her postcards today. And who knows? Your little darling might end up as... We return to the fucking show. But you know that was that it came to the end. We had the infamous fucking you know Mercury dinner. Collie and Olvin were off. Uh, you know, a time went by. I'm not sure how long. I think it was almost a, just like a few years after that. You know, and uh, we, me and you, weren't doing shit. I was living in the bottom of a playwright theater. I probably wasn't in Deer Creek yet. You weren't in Deer Creek yet. And uh, it was about to happen. It was about to happen. Uh, it was like right right then. But, uh, you know, we had... Made, me and you got together. We were hanging out. And I was like, let's just do a Hash Plus. And in, in that terms, guys, Hash Plus was a two-piece band from Wyoming that... <laughs> They were amazing, dude. Like, holy fuck. Two, two motherfuckers, like, destroying this motherfucker, okay? Uh, but uh, we were like, let's do a hash plus and, and just do a two-piecer. That was Crack Owl. Crack Owls. Crack Owl. Because I was doing Crack Owl. I was solo. And originally, Crack, crack Owl, y'all, was... That was my stage name, technically, in Colostomizer. And it was supposed to be me 11 years later accepting the fact that the band's over with. <laughs> and, like, coming for That was the joke, was I'm going to do the solo acoustic versions of Colostomizer and do them all soft and Donnie Marie or Dan Fogelbergy or whatever the fuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... You know, I thought that was fucking awesome. I thought John played along just great. Uh, everything that did I, do? How, did I do pretty well. You did. We, me, and you. I remember we got we had one fight, and I don't remember. I it was over. Yeah, yeah it was over. Carrie and Ryan like not taking the. Uh, they had. They both had trucks, and they had empty trucks, and they hadn't. None of them decided to go ahead and bring any of the equipment to the show that we were playing in a half hour. Uh, so me and you had to jet back to like Ev near Evans or wherever, Cherokee and Yale. I don't know where the fuck. South Broadway. <laughs> Way the fuck up where me and Kelly were living at that point. And we had to go back into the band room. And I was pissed off. I was hot-headed. And I was talking shit. Whatever. It was my fault. <laughs> I was frustrated. I was like, those fucking retarded motherfuckers, you know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I was kind of getting sick of them. They were weird. They were weirding me out. I knew it was all coming to an end anyway, man. And uh, But here it was in the future, right? And I'm like, let's do crack owls, man. And this is, you know, like I said, it's like three or four years after... Black and Goat Tongues disbanded. Right. Uh, and uh, you're like, yeah, so we, we jammed up in the theater. And uh, the, they could hear us in the restaurant next door. They could hear us playing. And they 
and people actually complained to the landlord. You never knew that. But there was a restaurant connected to that play, and we were, and everybody could hear us as as crystal light. <laughs> and uh, and I thought it was great. I was like, oh, we were so Melvin Z sounding already. I don't know what the fuck I was playing out of. I knew it was a half stack. I thought it was just a, like a Marshall. I thought I was playing out of a Marshall half, you know. Right. Uh, I don't know what rig you were playing on. But, um. Well, drum wise, it was probably playing on a sling on Oh, Premier. No, Premier. That, yep. Okay. It sounded sick. We knew we had it. So we went and talked to Melissa Martin at the 15th Street Tavern. And I told, yep, I told her, I was like, look, hey, let's, we want the Halloween show. We want Crack Owls. And we want, like, Black Lamb. I, I still have the flyer. It's like this, uh, it was right before they found out the bar was going to close down. But, uh, and it was, that's when everything got found out. And uh, I had the original flyer. It said Crack Owls. And it had a jack-o'-lantern puking up in a, in a toilet, all these pumpkin seeds. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was like Black Lamb, and I can't remember. I I can't remember. But uh, it was you know whatever was on the schedule at that time in Denver, right? And uh, you know um, we had it, and then I we did the whole set. We were ready to go. Uh, we were like a week out, and then I called you up, and I was like, "So what's up?" And you're like, "Well." We're not playing. And I was like, what do you mean we're not playing? And you're like, because the bar's closing. And I was like, what are you talking about? And that was the first time I had heard that the 15th Street Tavern was closing, you know? Oh, wow. And you, you, you were the one that technically told me. And so we went down there, and I got into the argument with Melissa Martin because I had a kid, and my son was living in Longmont. And, uh... I need to go trick-or-treating with my kid. And uh, Melissa Martin didn't get that. And was like, no, the bar's closing down. I was like, I get that. And she wanted to put every band inside of a, 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 a two, like 50 bands inside of four hours or some obscene bullshit. And I was like, no, can't do it. Got an argument. One thing led to another. <laughs> I ended up finding out who owned the bar, y'all. And one thing led to another, and me and three other people bought the 15th Street Tavern. Wow. And Melissa Martin had was basically going to 86 me from the bar. She was so mad at me and considered what? me... Uh, considered me, uh, hold on. Uh, she was mad at me because she thought I was being selfish. She thought I was being selfish and thought, you know, hey, uh, I, I think you're being a self, she said, I think you're being a selfish asshole. And I was like, hmm. Well, she wasn't a parent yet. Now she is. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, well, because she didn't understand what it was like to be a parent and have priorities with your kid oversee 
Crack Owls, and the end of my fucking favorite punk dive, and all this other shit, and maybe some other people are like, you know, maybe they feel differently, but I wasn't gonna, gonna put my, my kid, and be like, well, I can't go, I can't go with you, hun, because I gotta go say goodbye to my fucking watering hole, it's like, that's not gonna happen, dude, and, uh, every, and other people can feel like how they want, dude, that's how I felt. You know, Melissa Martin did not understand that concept. It was really rude. And so uh, I backed off. That night, I had heard the offers that were floating around. I teamed up with the two people who had the better offers. I went and talked to my fucking guy down at the junkyard. You know that. Yep. And uh, we bought the bar. And, uh, you know... Um, we kept it around for about five years. I wasn't even living there, dude. And I saw that they had ruined it at the end of it, you know. They ruined the bar at the end of it. And so, you know, that was when I decided to do my last shot. It was like 2000, it was right at, two th- at the end of 2010. And they were getting ready to go under, and I was ashamed of what these guys had done. Uh, and didn't have the right intention with the 15th Street Tavern. And the way it got closed down was by the Hyatt Regency, who who went through uh, Denver City and still fucking overshadowed our grandfather clause that we had on the building, because the building was a historical landmark. And, you know, we had it as a grandfather clause. They still fucking Hyatt took it. And right before that, I was so sick of these guys, I did my last shot of Jaeger. And I put it down on the bar. You know how the bar just, like, when you look down the, uh, when you first walk in, the, you look down the bar, and this looks right out into the street, you know, uh, right there. And I just took the fucking shot glass, put it down, slid it all hard down the bar, and it went straight out the fucking window. <laughs> and it fucking smashed, and car even was all... <laughs> You know, <laughs> and uh, and I took five hundred dollars out of my wallet, and I slammed it in front of those guys, and I said, "I think that should cover it." And then I walked yeah. out. Yeah, I I paid. That was the most expensive shot I ever did, and pretty much the end of rock and roll for me, because I moved out to yeah. fucking. Uh, to uh, the Bay Area. I was in the Bay Area, and I was pretty much rocking the gallery scene and different okay. different things in art. And I was moving past fucking Black and Goat Tongue and shit, you know? And Crack Owls and all that other crap. But I still am pissed off about Black and Goat Tongue. But at the same time, I'm really thankful that, you know, <laughs> it got to go down and that we had a good time when we did... And I'll just try to remember that shit. You're better at it probably than I am. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I can guarantee it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm i the mad genius that put it all together. You are. <laughs> I was. And I credit you for that. Thank you, man. I thought I was, was able so to be able to write, you know, in the, in, in the vein that was heavy enough to play with once again, these great bands, High on Fire. Uh, I thought we did Acid King, uh, Weed Eater, Sour Vein. 
witchy. You know, there was like some fucking uh, black cobra. <laughs> you know, there was a few bands, dude. There were some bands at that point that were the nexus of that doom sound, which now is like, you know, pretty much at its 20 year mark later. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. But we pioneered it, kind of, you know. We came out right when, I mean, fuck. Well, I thought it was awesome because, like I said, we did that Witch Mountain show. And uh, we did that Witch. Hey, dude. Hello? Sorry. We did that. (laughs) Damn, dude. Did that Witch Mountain show. And, uh, um, you know, that's when they, God damn it. This guy fucking interrupted me, man. Sorry. I lost the shit. <sighs> Fuck you, mortician. You're after hours, motherfucker. Um, okay. What I was trying to fucking say is, uh, <laughs> fuck it thanks for being on the show John <laughs> we have come to the end of the hour I am glad I could lose my fucking final thought like the anti-Jerry Springer that I am no I was gonna say, I don't know over already? huh yeah over already? 58.22 that's where we're at and we're closing in oh man you got a minute left what do you want to say to anybody out there as a drummer yeah, or I'm glad we got to rock out, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry the mortician had to fucking put a fucking jinx on the... <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. He reminded us the show's over. And as the mortician, you know it's the last thing you do is deal with the last show. I, I look forward to the next time. Yeah, man, you know you're welcome back, dude. If there is a next time. Hey, all we can do is fucking pray. All right, my friend. You be good, Grand Goat. Love you. Have a good night, Adam. You too. Love you, Scott. <laughs> Have a good night. Later. We'll be right back. You're watching WNUF. No, you're not. Tired of all those commercials when all you want to do is rock out? Well, wait no more. With Feel the Steel, Born and Wax brings you all your favorite hits, including I'll live the night you take, so give me what you got. You'll feel your pain. Order now off the number on your screen, and every month we'll send you even more of your favorite heavy metal hits. Don't check your dial, folks. You didn't tune into Transylvania's public access station. No, sir. Tonight is Halloween. Halloween is Satan's night. The night of the devil. All right, we're back. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, John, for being on the show. I decided to go ahead and extend the show because Black and Goat Tongue, even though we ended up 
into positions you're about to hear. I'm going to have a PTSD release session directly for the people dealing with PTSD that have dealt with rock and roll dummies and had to deal with fucking rock and roll people and rock and roll friends that didn't have your back in the fucking end. Here's to you. And here's to making new people in your life. It's alright to uh, have the memoriam and remember the good. And that's what I'm doing with Black and Go Tone. <laughs> I did love these guys. I loved them all. <laughs> And in that sense, we were heroes. Because we produced this, uh, this kind of magic and sound that I personally saw us change people's lives. I did. I saw that. And as a, as a functioning unit, and as friends, and as a band, I thought it was just one of the coolest motherfucking things that ever happened. Regardless of the outcomes, which I'll discuss here. But I wanted to respectfully lay that down. Alright, without further ado... This one's not dedicated to any of the band members. I actually wrote this song for one of the kids that came in during the middle school run um, when I was working at Highlander Comics in, in Denver at the same time I was in Black and Goat Tongue. Me and my girlfriend, Carrie and Ryan, John had joined. And I had the kids coming into the store. And, uh... We had started the Denver Comic Art Festival. I was really into the junk they were into, you know, and, you know, uh, pimping off uh, fucking <laughs> hustling fucking Pokemons and uh, Dragon Ball, Magic Cards, Sailor Moon. I was loving the Sailor Moon, and the Sailor Moon cards were kind of rarer and harder to get, but I loved them, man. I had a bunch of them, dude. One point couple comics and some shit. One of the little girls that came in, her name was BB, and she had psychic ability. Now I don't remember exactly what the things that she did now, but I think I told her about a year ago about it. Now she's a grown woman, married, has children, married with children, and she didn't remember any of that stuff. I still have a folder of all the drawings she did when she was like 12. She just draw me shit all the time, man. She loved my girlfriend, too, man. She loved her. Anyway, I wrote this song for her, man. And uh, this was actually in the uh, uh, the demo. Astronomer. I loved it, man, because... Uh, <laughs> it totally reminded me of her. But it also reminded me of this kind of vision I had about people in this uh, poor community in Mississippi 
you're all black people in this kind of like goldenish setting, and they were in old houses, but they were all made of gold. That is like weird dreams like that, you know. I think it was like right in the beginning of me developing my psychic. I was developing my own psychic abilities, and I was still young. I was like 26, 27 when I wrote this. <laughs> Pretty amazing, man. I love this song. Still think it's like my favorite song on the on the demo. But BB was an amazing little kid, and she was a cool cartoonist. And I'll see her on Instagram from time to time, and she's still posting some art here. I can't believe all these kids are like in their mid thirties now. <laughs> How's that happen, dude? These little kids. I guess they weren't that little, but they were like twelve, thirteen. <laughs> I remember how infatuated I was with the time. And I was really into fucking Sailor Moon, man, you know? <laughs> I was just, there was some people were into Hello Kitty. You know, some people, at least I wasn't a brony. <laughs> but I did, I did like it. I liked the whole, like, these little girls who would, protect, you know, and have planetary powers or whatever. <laughs> and Sailor Astronomer Moon is the final formation of Sailor Moon. <laughs> I love Kelly's voice on this thing, man. So great. And I wanted Carrie to sing on it, on the demo. And that's her whispering, because bless her heart, it wasn't that she couldn't sing, she just couldn't match Kelly's pitch or whatever. Here's the part, the part where all the old black people, all the old black elders are like clapping their hands. Stomping their feet, and dust is coming up in this old Mississippi place. I don't know why. Some old Mississippi little hole. Sailor Astronomer Moon. <laughs> I always thought that was BB, you know? The, f the final psychic formation. I wish I could remember what she what psychic shit she did. I can't remember, but I remember it was like a few incidents. Black and Gotung had been around. We had written a few songs. And I remember going home this one night after work. It was right after she had done this psychic shit. And I was like, Kelly, listen to this. And I played this riff. And she was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's the birth of astronomer. This next part goes out to Kali Doom, my bassist, who I taught how to play bass on this thing from left hand. <laughs> and she was left handed. <laughs> and I loved her so. She was my best friend in the whole band. 
And the reality is, is now, here, 20 years later, I can say it. Because the rhythm guitarist, Carrie, was with the rhythm guitarist, Ryan. And I was with the singer, Kelly. And we both loved who we were with, but at that point, we loved each other, man. We never cheated. We never even, like, went to, we never even went there. But we were so spiritually aligned at that point, and we were both coming in, man. We were both coming in hot. This was the first uh, song that um, Kali learned how to play. Winter's Kiss. I loved her so, man. I wanted her to leave Ryan, because Ryan was stupid. <laughs> He's still fucking stupid, man. He's always been kind of fucking dumb. Not kind of, he is. Um, I thought she was better than that, but she didn't. That's how the whole band got started, was like I said in the interview, you know. These guys were on heroin, they were already being selfish together. And they didn't really care who they hurt, necessarily. I felt Black and Goatung was the way to put us all together. And after I'd watched the British television series Thriller, the episode known as Episode 25, The Devil's Web. <laughs> and I wrote that. And I felt like, hey, let's put the band together. And we didn't have John yet. And John was awesome. After the band had broken up, you know, and Carrie and Ryan took off and went to India and became Kali and Olman. And all this weak ass shit that I never agreed with. Because I was like, how can you guys still fucking want to leave after you see how good we're doing? And I do remember having these talks with them, but apparently they didn't remember that, you know. And uh, they didn't remember fucking saying, hey, we will take it into consideration. And they were just really materialistic about the move. And I'll be honest, that's when me and Kali Doom split spiritually. And I think they went through for a material thing, like many people who come across the spirit, which I don't think Ryan was in the spirit. I think he just went because, you know, he fucking wanted to be with uh, Carrie and it probably wasn't for necessarily the right reasons. He wasn't necessarily the best guy for her at that time. And I remember her being hurt by him. And I remember Kelly being jealous as fuck of my love for Carrie. John was oblivious to the whole thing. <laughs> he didn't care, he wasn't picking up, he wouldn't. John's not built that way, dude. John's built like the Melvins. They don't care about this fucking Days of Our Lives bullshit. They're just there the rock and roll, you know? But for us, it was Days of Our Lives bullshit. And I was spiritually connected to the Kali Doom. Like I said, later on, I was living in San Francisco, man. The man had been broken up for about 
five years easy. I was living in some flat in San Francisco and Kali Doom came to stay with me. We had a good time. And it was like right after she left, I had that nightmare. You have to go back and listen to the Great Alien Reveal episode. There's a part on there about how I met the Dalai Lama, and it's true. But it was because of uh, it was because of Kali Doom's material interference with what I thought was a purified, already solidified spiritual path. And I think she wanted to be cool about it at a young age and just go to India. Maybe they get they did. But I don't feel like they came back spiritual. I met up with them. I had a disdain in my mouth. All I heard was some more judgmental bullshit kind of from them. And it kind of went downhill from there. They ended up in a band called Turambar. With a member from a band called Vile Rune. And they ruined it. And that was the winter's kiss. What makes one head of lettuce better than another? At Fred Meyer, we take scrutinizing freshness to a whole new level. We're only the best. What's up, guys? I want to thank you for uh, taking the way back machine with me and the Grand Go here. Wasn't the easiest episode to do. Like a lot of things in my life, it's been covered with turmoil. A third of the band fucked me over. I saved it till after the show because I didn't really want to talk about that shit with John. And he gets the option not to have to hear this fucking bullshit. And so do you. But if you are interested, I will tell you this. The honest truth about it was I put all my time and energy into this thing. And I felt disrespected here in the future by the people, the three people I took the time to really train out to be badasses in rock and roll. And they fucking know it. Where they chose to be around it or not, here in the future, that's their fucking call. I'm not going to talk about that shit, but I will say, in the end, they sold me out. And this goes out to everybody who had an awesome fucking project that ended with heartbreak. I had two times. The third time I ever do a rock fucking thing, I ain't never going to have to worry about it. You know what I'm saying? That's just how it will always be. Music is my therapy. At this time, what you're about to hear is us sitting at the 15th Street Tavern <laughs> during a particular thunderstorm when uh, we ended up busting out the first time we ever played These Woods was with uh, Sour Vein when Liz from Electric Wizard was still in Sour Vein. And this song was written by uh, Ryan. The first time we ever tried to play it, it was like uh, with Grant, and Grant was a drummer from Mean Face, and like I said, he's about 500 fucking pounds, man. He came in, he heard the riff, and he did the horse galloping, and that's really what it was supposed to be about this song. It was originally written by me, and uh, I had written that... <coughs> A little poem about the Headless Horseman. It's really the first verse. I had uh, Ryan go ahead and write the riff. I was playing out of a Fender Rock Pro with a Marshall 412. Originally I had a fucking 
crate voodoo, blue voodoo. That thing was weak as fuck. And in the end, it didn't really look that cool, man. <laughs> and I kind of got sold on rock and roll imagery. It's really about sound, though, man. Next time I play, I'll be using fucking what that fucking sellout motherfucker Matt Pike fucking plays through. I can't wait to get that guy, man. I can't wait to get him on a podcast. I will find a way to get him on and confront him. And uh, I'm going to get him on here. I promise you that, dude. I'll have him confessing how he fucked me around without him knowing it. That's how you got to do it. But, you know, that's what I would like to play through is those fucking green amps. You know, at this time, it was a Fender Rock Pro and a fucking 412 Marshall. Wind came out of the motherfucker. I knew that was what I wanted to play out of. You know, the third band I played in was in Oakland, and I was playing out of a custom... Like a, I thought it was like a fucking 77 Custom with the bumper uh, car fucking padding on it, you know. I kind of ended in heartbreak with that band too, but it was nothing like Black and Goatun, man. I mean, I really just felt fucking pretty destroyed out of it. And as you can hear, these kids know how to rock, man. Here in the future, these guys aren't worth a shit, man. <laughs> fucking sellout motherfuckers. At least John was honest. And he gave away his drum kit. Rock and roll kind of fucking kicked the fucking bucket in a lot of ways. I know it did with me. And I just got surrounded by too many fucking douchebags. And I didn't really care. I felt like uh, we did good shows. I was proud of these guys while we were friends. While they were um, my friends before they became my enemies. And I hate saying that, man. <laughs> I really wish fucking <laughs> things hadn't turned out that way. Is a large part of it due to my PTSD? Oh yeah, dude. I trusted Ryan though like a brother and he went and fucked my baby's mama <laughs> he went and fucked my baby's mama man and then his girlfriend came out to me and tried to fuck with me just to get revenge at him I'm sure it worked I'm pretty sure it worked you know I took up the offer these guys are fucking white trash and I'm gonna play him till the end. Ryan, man, I fucking trusted you, bro, but you really had greedy interests. But motherfucker, you did learn how to play some fucking guitar. Too bad you're a fucking douche nozzle. Bad. I really like this fucking song too, man. I was always so stoked that he wrote it because I fucking took the time to write everything else. 
they will never admit it, but I trained these motherfuckers from the ground up. Only so they could abuse their powers later. <laughs> Such is life. Hmm. Near the end of Black and Goat, uh, we went to Hamish Springs. And like we said, we played the show in Santa Fe. That was really all we did outside of Denver. And I think we could have gotten a lot bigger, you know. And uh, a lot of things could have, uh, possibilities and getting picked up and all that other shit. But um, it, didn't, it wasn't in the works, man. Carrie and Ryan were destined to go to India. And I just felt the anger was pressuring like, oh, we got to go have this fucking dinner next week. Kelly was acting oblivious to it. And I think she was having interest more into goth club bullshit and <laughs> things like that. And Kelly had her own interest and was separating from the band as well. And I think that the dragons were the, were the, the, the dream that Carrie had, you know. And it kind of represented the, on one end, the legend of Merlin. And Merlin's own dream about fucking dragons battling. And then on this other end, <laughs> it was uh, not just about that, you know. It was, um, it was really about the band separating. That's what I thought. There was a level of material in the band. I had my own wants and fantasies for it, you know. Like I, at that time, Southern Lord, you had Southern Lord, you had Man's Ruin. Uh, you had a, a few of these Relapse was putting out some shit. You had Doom was coming out, man. I can't remember all that shit that was happening. I do, I loved it, almost all of it. <laughs> so I, I wrote this last one after I heard Carrie. She had a serious breakdown, and she was crying. And John just kind of looked oblivious as usual. <laughs> I don't think he understood anything serious that ever happened out of the band. And it was probably good, man. All he needed to know was how to play the fucking drums. <laughs> Although I think in a divine situation, that was probably why Carrie and Ryan Mayim left, was because John didn't acknowledge the spirit. And I think they wanted that to be more of a thing. But I'll tell you what, where they went next in the term bar, they teamed up with Jake, who was from Vile Rune. And Vile Rune was consisted of three guys who I loved at that time too and we all loved them here in the future Jake ended up being a fucking child abuser drunk fuck who helped break up their selfish ass shit yeah I went up to Jake man I told him straight up I was like way before Turabar while I was in black and goat tongue and that shit belonged to my ass and he was jealous and he couldn't even play a fucking power chord no one else was fucking teaching him that shit. Were they, Jake? And I showed him how to play, and I said, Hey, one day, you're going to be one of the best. 
don't abuse it. First thing that motherfucker did. <laughs> and Carrie and Ryan helped assist his ass. And then Carrie acted like she didn't have anything to do with the bad behaviors they were exemplifying. It's like, if you were so righteously, spiritually in line and she still has her fake ass camp in Florida, sorry to tell you like that. I tried to reconnect with you, dude. I'm never going to get down with your little cultic ass and the rope of bullshit. And the way you've judged me. And the way fucking Kelly judged me and ripped me off and cheated on me. With what I can only hope is her relative since she was fucking adopted. Her real male last name is Middleton. And the guy she fucking married happens to have the same last name. Hope that fucking went through like that. Talked to Kelly 20 years later. She had nothing but negative crap. Still looking for her family. It's like, who cares? I fucking gave you guys a new family and you blew it. Ryan couldn't wait to fucking start something heavier than Black and Goatum. That was obvious. Carrie thought she could find something more spiritual. Kelly went off to fucking serve her own self-interest. And I fucking took off, man. <laughs> I took off after that. I started doing my own thing and paying more love with my, my son. Which wasn't that great. But I did the best I could. I paid attention to my son more. So I finally moved out to New York, got in the literary system. I'm still chiseling, man. I'm still trying to get in that fucking entertainment industry because that's my lot, which has enough of its own problems. But at least my height was, my heart was straight, dude. These guys can blame me for whatever, call me unstable. Hey, what the fuck are you doing, huh? Judging me? And yeah, there is some angst there. You guys bring out the fucking PTSD in my ass, man. And you turned me into a dragon. And I want to thank you, Kali Doom, Carrie, Carrie Stinson, for helping me become a real dragon. And you guys did. You trained, you learned how to train your fucking drag. Well, that's about it for the fucking show. I'm going to close this motherfucker out. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> John, you were an amazing drummer. Thanks for never causing one problem, man. You were cured, and you got the heart of a child. And you're the best of all of us. Peace. You've been listening to Adamair MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. 